Hey everyone, welcome to the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast, a podcast dedicated towards helping you stay healthy so you can stay on the golf course and not in the clubhouse. We will be covering all things golf, from fitness, performance, injury recovery, instruction, and everything else in between. I am your host, Dr. Russ Manalastis. I am a board-certified sports physical therapist and strength coach based out of Rochester, New York. Our goal with this podcast is to help you play your best golf yet while doing so without limitations. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, guys, welcome back to the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Russ. Today, we're joined by Thomas Malchow. Thomas has got a bachelor's of science in kinesiology. He's a, a human movement specialist, a corrective exercise specialist that specializes in working with the golf athlete. He owns a company called Trainfully and started the Lone Back Pain Pain Center to help golf athletes deal with issues and get them back to performing at a high level. Thomas, welcome to the show, man. Thanks so much for spending some time with us. Thanks for having me on. So, Thomas, I'm really interested to kind of hear your background story. Um, so maybe kind of tell the listeners a little bit about maybe your education, uh, your journey through kind of maybe the industry, and then ultimately your decision to open up the, the low back pain center and develop Trainfully. Yeah, so I graduated from Simon Fraser University in 1999 with a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology. And after graduating, I started working at a rehab clinic where we had primarily people who were suffering from pretty catastrophic injuries from car accidents. Sure. So these people were coming in and I was having to learn how to navigate my way through um, uh, an hour long session of trying to fix this person or at least make some sort of impact on their life within right. an hour so that they would come back, right? Yep. And when you're dealing with an injured person and, and you can attest to this too, Russell, you learn right away if something you've, you've done is wrong. Because if you increase somebody's pain and you make them worse, that's not a, a good feeling for you and certainly not for them right. and they're not coming back. Right, and they let right. you know and that so right away. They let you know right away. They're not shy. <laughs> right. People in pain are not shy. Right. <laughs> and especially if they're not working, right? If their livelihood depends on them getting back to work and here you are as a young graduate, you've learned all this stuff in school and now you're trying to apply it. Uh, that was a stressful time for me and, and learning how to navigate through that. And during that time, I joined the American College of Sports Medicine, the National Academy of Sports Medicine, got my, spe my specialties. And I was slowly starting to develop my method of being able to assess somebody, uh, determine where their compensations are, and then have follow-up tests to identify what structures and tissues were involved in those compensations. Yeah. And then from there, being able to put together a protocol to correct that. Yeah. And, and that was really, the, it took a couple of years to be able to, to do that. Now, the cool thing, I had a really cool experience because in the morning, I'd work with these people in the clinic. And then in the afternoon, I'd, I was, had the opportunity to work with um, professional hockey players. And so while I was developing this assessment and treatment protocol with the injured people, I started to think about what, what happens if I assess these these athletes the same way, right? And right. sure enough, I was finding compensations and dysfunctions in their body right. and then implementing a very similar protocol to correct that within the athlete and found, man, their performance is skyrocketing because of sure, this. Sure. And so that's sort of how I developed my, the, my method. It might be a little bit unique in a lot of ways, yeah. um, but it's, it's uh, quite successful. And I think that there's something to be said about, you know, the assessment aspect can be, done regardless of the population right and it could be it could span across the lifespan right so whether you're dealing with people that are like you said are dealing with catastrophic motor vehicle accidents or you're dealing with an elite level athlete 
the assessment doesn't really change, right? You're just trying to figure out, hey, where are they starting, whether they're injured or whether they're performing at a high level and then maybe they need to be more efficient. What can you do from an assessment standpoint to really kind of hone in on the things that maybe are limiting them and then unlock some of that potential that you're looking at? Absolutely. And, and I think that a lot of people get lost and like, especially if they're talking about performance and like, like increasing, uh, say, the strength of, of an athlete, but not dealing with the compensations first or the dysfunction. And you really can't build performance on top of dysfunction. You're going to sure. end up with an injury or something. Right. right. And, and so the assessment is so key. It's something that I do not only at the beginning of any, every session, but during the session, like you need to know if the strategy you've implemented is helping. Yes. And if it's not, then you got to figure out that something else. Right. 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 And so, yeah, so that's really the key. And, and it's, it's something that um, I, I used eventually. I stopped working with the, uh, with the injured people, like from, at least from the car accidents and focused sure. primarily on athletes. Um, went over to Europe for a few years for five years, worked with FC Barcelona for a while. Nice. And then when I came back, started working with primarily golfers. I was, I was interested in, I mean, I love golf. And so, you know, I thought, well, this would be great to work with golf, being a bit of a human movement nerd, <laughs> being able to dissect the golf swing and, you know, notice that there's a lot of injuries in golf, especially with the, with the low back. And so started the low back pain center to help them. That's great. So maybe kind of dive into the low back pain center a little bit more and kind of just maybe the idea behind it. And, you know, obviously what, what comes through your doors when it comes to that, that facility and, and kind of go from there? Well, it was, the, I guess what started it was having golfers and not just professionals, but just, you know, amateur golfers coming in with like pretty serious injuries, like disc tears and things like this. And, yeah. and so curious as to why this was happening. I had worked with golfers before and there's always been low back pain issues and different issues with golf. Right. But when I came back from Europe, I felt like there was more discogenic issues going on. And as I sort of investigated a little bit further, asking the people what they were doing you know, away from golf and noticing that certain habits that they were taking in regards to their strength training without dealing with their compensations beforehand, thought that, oh, man, that's really important to teach these people the things that maybe isn't out there in common knowledge, you know, like yeah. the way that a physical therapist like you yeah. would treat somebody when they come in, whether they're an athlete or not, right. isn't really, isn't normal. And yeah. it's sort of, I found, you know, I've worked with a lot of athletes in a lot of different sports. And I found at the time, this is going back, say five years ago, golf was sort of lacking some of the knowledge or experience that some of the other sports had. So I wanted sure. to start, start the website. It's a website. Yeah to get that information out there to the golfers. Yeah. And I think, you know, filling a void is a key part there, right? So if you enjoy the sport itself and obviously you want to perform at a high level, who doesn't in the sport of golf, right? Yeah. But if you fill a void and I think you're right, you know, when you look at the general public and, you know, the recreational golfer, or even like the high level golf athlete, they might not necessarily know too much about some of the stuff that they're dealing with, right? They know they have it, right? But they're not mm -hmm. exactly sure how to best get it under control. And, you know, unfortunately, the, 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 internet, the internet is great, but it can also be a curse as well, right? There's so many things that you can look up and, you know, either uh, it can either allow you to really kind of resonate with the own bias that you have, or it can completely refute it. And then you, you don't gravitate towards the stuff that maybe you don't agree with, right? Yeah, so yeah. I think it's really important to kind of understand you know, at the time that like you talked about, you want to fill a void and obviously whatever you're doing is resonating with your athletes and it's, it's going really well for you. And that's great. Yeah. Well, my approach is pretty simple. 
is I, I try to optimize posture. And sure. when we're talking about posture, and this is an example I've used before is, is I look at the body as like a bicycle wheel. And I don't know if you've ever fixed a warped bicycle wheel, but <laughs> if you have a warped wheel, you, in order to make it round again, you have to manipulate the spokes. Yeah. The problem is if you just loosen all the spokes, you don't change the actual shape of the wheel. It stays warped, right? Sure. And same yeah. if you just tighten all the spokes. And so you have to systematically go through, loosen some spokes, tighten others. Now, when it comes to the body, the spokes are the muscles and the joints, right? right? Yeah. So you need to know which muscles to tighten, which mu muscles to loosen in order to optimize posture and get sure. the body back into yeah. optimal alignment. Yeah, and I think too, when you, especially when you talk about golf, you know, golf posture is so dynamic and it changes in in seconds, right? So, being able to address and identify some of those limitations that you're seeing, and then have them translate to whatever you're doing, and have that translate to the swing, where the swing happens in the snap of your fingers. Like, there's a lot of things that that are going on there, right? So, being able to like you like always like we're going back to you, assess what you think is going on, what the source of the issue is and addressing that source of the issue so that the symptoms have a tendency to go away. Like that is a key component of what we do. And it sounds like what you do as well. Yeah, absolutely. We're looking to optimize. Uh, I call it the human movement system, the, the muscular system, the skeletal system and the nervous system. Yeah. If you have dysfunction in any one of those systems, that's going to spread to the other two, right? If you have muscle imbalances, it's going to pull the joints out of alignment. You're going to altered force coupling You're going to get altered recruitment patterns. And you need to be able to identify where those imbalances are to fix that. If you just start stretching, yeah, you can't stretch your way out of dysfunction. So the wheel, the bicycle wheel will stay warped, right? You have yeah, to right. systematically assess, know what spokes need to be loosened, know what spokes need to be tightened, and uh, have a very systematic protocol in order to correct that. Yeah, and I think the education piece is crucial there, right? And, and educating people to understand, like, this this didn't happen overnight. So our ability to change it overnight is probably not going to happen, right? So setting that expectation from the get-go is a key component to understand. And listen, this might take some time, but you got to invest in your ability to understand that your body, if you want to perform at a high level, you need to invest in it, right? Yeah, it's crazy. You know what? I, I, I tell golfers this all the time. I know when people talk about, um, you know, investing in your body. It's the most important club that you have. I used right. to work with um, uh, uh, mountain bikers and they would, spend like all sorts of money like getting the most expensive components for their bike to make right. like a fraction of an ounce lighter but they wouldn't even think about maybe losing a couple pounds themselves right, like, right, the right. influence you can impose on your performance no matter what the sport is by addressing your body yeah is way more profound than getting the next you know high-tech piece of equipment right that's a, an important key cog that i think a lot of people <laughs> have a tendency to miss there yeah so for the listeners, and maybe the listeners don't, obviously aren't um, maybe well-versed in your background, but um, I want to kind of hear your story because obviously when you, when you talk about low back pain, you've dealt with low back pain yourself. And um, I, will always, I always like to kind of hear the story as to maybe what you kind of dealt with because I think a lot of listeners that are, that are listening to this, they maybe have some aches and pains that they're dealing with themselves. And having a, a relatable, relatable story can go a long way in helping them understand, hey, this stuff can be under control. It's just a matter of how you figure out how to get there. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for people that are dealing with, with chronic pain, with low back pain, whatever um, the case is. I mean, it's hard to, to be enthusiastic in the morning when it's hard to get out of bed, right? right? You're dealing with pain, man. It's a real struggle. It affects every aspect of your life, your relationships, your job. Um, so I had injured my back um, 
when I was uh, a teenager playing hockey. Um, the, I had like three disc bulges. Actually, I'm missing one of my facet joints eventually wore right through. Huh. And um, it was a real struggle just dealing every day with, with, with back pain. It was hard to go for a walk, you know, spend time with your friends and do various things. Right. Um, now, what helped me the most was being able to identify in myself where my imbalances were. And so what I did initially is just try to get stronger. I thought, okay, I'll get stronger. I'll make my back stronger. I'll make everything stronger. It will help. And it didn't help. And, and it took a while. And this is while I was going to school as well. So I was learning about all the anatomy and the physiology and trying to apply it to myself. And, and it took a little while, but um, eventually learned the, like my go-to stretches, my go-to exercises that help reduce my pain. I very rarely get pain now, but when I do, I have my two or three things that I know immediately okay. are going to work and I get on top of that. But that being said, I also know how um, it's, you know, the, I often tell people like whether it's uh, for performance or whether it's for rehab, the workout or the routine is the obstacle in the way. So you have to do these things, yeah. say it takes half an hour or an hour in order to get the result that you want, right? Yeah. So I know that, okay, if I want to feel better, I have to do X, Y, and Z. And sometimes I'm kind of lazy and I don't want to do it, but you know, it's the, the obstacle. I know if I do it, I'm going to feel better. Right. Um, and that's important for people to, if they're struggling with pain right now is to see a physical therapist or, or see a health professional to identify. And this comes back to our talk about the assessment again, identify what structures which uh, tissues are involved in your pain and to implement a corrective strategy to address that. Yeah. You just can't implement some sort of fitness program hoping that your pain's going to go away. There's a reason you hurt right. and you need to figure out why that is. It's not your responsibility to do that. It's the responsibility of a healthcare professional. Yeah. And I think too, when you talk about, you know, your experience with low back issues, I've had low back issues you know, from a car accident. And you know, I think, you know, the, the, the first thing is, okay, well, what can I do to address it right away, right? Everyone wants that quick fix. They want to they get their pain under control so they can move forward. And when that doesn't happen and it becomes more of a persistent issue, like you had mentioned, it wears on you, right? Emotionally, physically, it drains you. And you're constantly dealing with it day in and day out. And like you said, it, it makes it tough to get out of bed in the morning sometimes and want to do this obstacle that's in the way, which is training, right? And um, I think, you know, when, you, when you're dealing with issues that are persistent in nature, especially the low back, because it's such an epicenter of what you do, um, mm. it really becomes a, a crucial conversation you need to have with yourself. Like, hey, if I'm not addressing it myself and I'm not getting better, then I need help, right? And finding the right type of help is the important part too, though, right? Not every clinician, right. not every healthcare provider is going to provide you the solution. You need to find the right provider that understands what you're going through and can, again, assess what's going on so that they can find a best plan and ultimately an expectation as to what is going to take for you to get better. Yeah. And, and what part of that process is identifying the pain mechanism, what makes your pain hurt. And so what I often, when I talk to people, like, do you have good days and bad days? If you have good days and bad days, that means you can always have good days. What did you do on your good days or what did you not do on your good days? Right. right? Because I, I think you can probably attest to this as well as, is chronic low back pain is usually a repeated series of acute injuries, right? You're continuously doing something, whether it's a certain posture, like the way you sit, 
whether it's a disc issue, a facet joint issue. Maybe standing for too long makes your back hurt. Maybe walking makes your back hurt, but you can figure out, make a list. This makes my back hurt. This makes my back feel better. And you start seeing what makes your back hurt. Take those out of your daily life. Yep. What makes my back feel better? Start doing more of that. Yeah. And eventually you'll have more good days than bad days. Yeah. And I think we framing it in that, in that regard too is important because I think there's a lot of negative connotations when people are experiencing discomfort, especially the discomfort that's been going for a long time, right? They start to think a lot more negatively, like, hey, I'm never going to get better. My pain's never going to go away. I'm never going to get this under control, right? So when they're constantly down that road, it's a slippery slope, right? So if you can find a provider that is obviously very optimistic and can give you the tools to say, listen, let's kind of start from scratch. Let's figure out maybe one or two things that we know makes you feel better. Start there. And then from there, gradually implement other strategies to continue to improve that. That can go a long way in getting people out of that hole that people are usually struggling with. Oh, absolutely. And one of the first things I ask people, does sitting make your back hurt, right? Yes. Okay, well, let's try to take sitting out of your day as much as we can. Get up and walk around every 15 minutes, even if it's just for a couple minutes, right? right. Go for three 10-minute walks a day. You know, and that's if you start taking the sitting out of your day, it doesn't mean you don't sit, but it means right. that you try to get up as much as possible and move around immediately people can start to, to feel better right. and recognizing what postures, which loads, like in regards to weight, maybe it's carrying something yep. that's making your back hurt and starting to put those pieces together to figure out what is causing your pain. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I think, you know, low back pain, there's a reason why at some point in time, 80% of the population is going to deal with it, right? It's just one of those mm -hmm. things where if, if your body isn't able to, be up to the stress that you're about to apply to it. That's usually when things have a tendency to get a little more sensitive or get a little more nagging, right? So, you know, that's when hopefully the good, the good trainers or the good coaches understand you need to, again, invest in your body, right? Put it in the best position to be successful, whether that's playing golf, whether that's just getting up out of the bed every day, right? There's, yeah. there's a lot of, you know, connections and correlations to, you know, whether you want to be on, on a high, high level of a performance or you just want to get through your day, those two, those are good goals to have. It's just a matter of what are you going to do to get there? Yeah, and it's, it's how you approach. And this is how I used to make the mistake when I was younger. So I had back pain, and I would approach my workouts not really thinking about what it was doing to my back pain so much. It was just sort of my back pain was something that I would just put up with, right? Yeah. But the purpose of your workouts should be to uh, improve your body, to increase your capacity. Your workouts should not be taking capacity out of your body, right? So every tissue in your body has a capacity. That's yeah. how much that tissue can endure be before it becomes injured, right? Yeah. Everything we do is either putting capacity into our tissues or taking it out, right? Golf is kind of hard on your body. It's going to use up a lot of your capacity. So what you're doing in the gym better not be taking up your capacity as well. It better be adding to it. And so right. that's how you, you need to know which, which um, tissues and structures you need to stretch, which ones yeah. you need to strengthen, and try to do that, reduce your compensations, increase your capacity so you can spend it on the golf course or spend it playing with your kids. Yeah, and, and ultimately it's the end goal. If the end goal is to not be in discomfort and enjoy, right? I think, you know, let's be real, golf is a sport. People love to play it, but doing so while being hurt, it's not fun, right? So I think, you know, you have to understand the why, whether it's playing your kids, whether you wanna play golf at a high level and be out of pain, we want to understand the goal so we can kind of get you there. Yeah. So I think our yeah. approach, Russell, like a, as a physical therapist, as a kinesiologist, the approach that P 
people who deal with people who are in pain, I think is starting to now resonate with the fitness industry. People are realizing that fitness should be something that feels good, yeah. right? There's, there's sort of a mentality that's evolved to sort of like no pain, no gain mentality where yeah. people are sort of pursuing, you know, the, the fundamental fundamentals of fitness at, at all costs, at yeah. the cost of their body, right. right? When really fitness should be good. It should, it should build you up, not tear yeah. you down. Absolutely. And, you know, I think you, you said it right. You know, a lot of times people look at fitness as like, it's, um, you know, you have to go balls to the wall every single training session. And, you know, what is the point if you're, if you're feeling broken every day after doing it, right? So, you know, like you said, fitness should be enjoyable. Um, and again, there are many different ways to improve your fitness levels. It doesn't have to be just, you know, lifting heavy weights all the time. There are a number of different ways to go about that. And that's maybe another conversation for another podcast. But I think you, you said it right. You know, fitness should be enjoyable and it should build you up. You should be able to feel like, hey, I'm making progress here and not be like, oh, man, my body is crushed because of that yeah. workout I just had, you know? Yeah, if you're, if you're feeling worse after your workout than you were before, your workout was not good for you. Right, right, exactly <laughs> right. And, and, and I think, you know, going back to, you know, the internet and YouTube, you know, people look for workouts that are, you know, high intensity and things like that. And again, if their body isn't ready for that, then they might feel worse than when they first started. And that's not what you're mm -hmm. looking for when it comes to a sound training routine. That's right. And, and I mean, if, if the workout shouldn't be the event, right. And, and the workout or the routine, whatever you want to call it should be the thing that prepares you for whatever you want to do, whether that's golf, play with your kids, right. go for a hike or just not have pain. Right. 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 But too many people have focused on the workout as being the event. Even people that work with, with high level athletes, like if you're yeah. working with a, with a, with a professional athlete, yeah. shouldn't be, breaking them down and using up their capacity in the gym because they're going to have to go to practice after. Right, and if they right. can't have a productive practice, that's not right. going to help. I mean, they got to feed their families by being right. able to perform. Right. Right. And, and so we need to take that approach with the general population as well as taking a look at, you're not going to the gym to challenge yourself, to see how far you can push your body. You're going there to build yourself up and to feel better and to move better. So you can, you know, play with your kids so you can play golf on the weekend with your buddies. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a great point. And so let's do this. Let's transition to, um, you know, when you when we talk about the golf athlete, you know, maybe tell me one or two things that, you know, I think, you know, when you when you work with the population as much as you do, Thomas, you know, you see a lot of different things and but you see a lot of different patterns that are very consistent across golfers, right? So maybe tell us and the listeners, you know, one or two things that you kind of really focus on from a training standpoint you know, obviously based on your assessment that makes a really, really big impact on the golf athlete. Um, well, I would say for especially golfers is, is improving the mobility of the thoracic spine and the hips. And so what I'm looking at with, with the golfer and right away, if they come in and they're like, Oh man, I'm either not playing well, I can't get a good backswing or I'm struggling with low back pain. You can usually see right away in their posture, they have this sort of upper cross syndrome pattern, right? Sure. And so right away, the first thing I do with almost everybody, I can't think of one golfer that I've seen that hasn't needed to improve hip internal rotation specifically yep. and thoracic spine mobility, yep. right? Now, when we're doing that, so once we know, say we're, we're focusing on that, those two things is improving the mobility of the thoracic spine and the hips yep. is the other thing that, and this would probably apply to either the person in general, but more likely say like the, the healthcare provider is if you're doing 
if when you choose an exercise, a stretch or a mobilization, ask yourself, is there a better option? And if there is, do that. I think all too often we get into this habit of, you know, variety and trying to change things up yeah, yeah. at the cost of our performance and of our health, right? If there's a better option, always choose the best option. Right. That's, that's, I mean, and I think too, when you talk about the, the upper back and the hips, I mean, those are two things that we see usually span across the golf athlete, right? Those two areas are key areas with regards to rotation, with regards to improving mobility so they can get into certain positions and then improve the stability in those certain positions. Again, there's a reason why, again, the upper back and the hips, right in the middle is the low back. So if you don't have good mobility or good strength in the hips and the upper back, the low back is usually the one that takes on the brunt of that. Absolutely. It's not rocket science, right? Yeah. The body can't get mobility in the back and the hip. It's going to take it from the low back. Got it. Exactly um, right. And I see it. It's, it's so often. Yeah. Very common. It's very common. And again, there, there are obviously different ways of uh, tweaking the back depending on, you know, swing characteristics and things like that. But, you know, for the most part, when you see consistently across most golfers or they, their inability to get into certain positions because of, thoracic limitations, and then hip rotations. In particular, like you said, hip internal rotation, especially on that lead hip, right? The inability to kind of rotate around that lead hip becomes important. And then ultimately, if they can't rotate around that lead hip, maybe they early extend, maybe their hips come forward too quickly, and all of a sudden it, it cranks on the low back. And then when you add speed to that and then a rotation, you know, there's, a recipe for, uh, there's a recipe for people that feel some of that discomfort that they're experiencing after a ground the golf. Yeah, 90% of the population have the same imbalances to varying degrees, right? And so this has been identified in the scientific literature. We have upper sure. cross syndrome, yeah. lower cross syndrome, pronation yeah. distortion syndrome. The people call them by different names. Sure. And so by addressing a corrective strategy to um, fix those three compensatory patterns, you can fix 90% of the population. And most of us have these compensations because we sit so much, right? And so the muscles in front of our hips become tight. The muscles in our chest that cross in front of our shoulders become tight. Sure. We lose mobility in our thoracic spine and our hip. But there's scientifically proven interventions to fix that. You know, sure. lower cross syndrome, we know what muscles are tight. Yeah. We know which muscles are weak. So we can fix that. Same with upper cross syndrome. Same with pronation distortion syndrome. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, too, again, it comes down to identifying those, right? Identifying what's the low-hanging fruit figure out how, you can, how can you get the most bang for your buck to kind of sh show them the difference pretty quickly there. And then obviously have strategies to improve that over an extended amount of time. And I think that's, Absolutely. it sounds simple, right? Um, but, you know, obviously there's a, there's, a, there's a key implement there to understand how best to take them from point A to point B and do it systematically and do it in the right way that doesn't, doesn't put their body at, at risk or increase risk of re-injuring themselves again too. Yeah. When, when, you, when you see a, a, a compensation, do you have, like, what, what's your systematic approach? Like, what I do normally is, is I usually release, like, if I'm taking a look at, like, the, say, hip internal rotation, and there's a reduced hip internal rotation, we know which muscles restrict yeah. the hip yeah. internal rotation, right? Yeah. Um, we also know which muscles are going to be weak and, and be underactive with that. Sure. Now, what I do, and I'm not sure if this is, like, uh, common, like, if you do this as well, but I usually release then mobilize, stretch, and then activate, right? I find that to be um, most beneficial, that I get the most impact right away. Yep. 
but like what what sort of thing I'm, do you do? I'm the same way, Thomas, right? So if we see a limitation, let's say, like you talked about hip internal rotation, maybe it's soft tissue work, maybe it's mobilization. And then if you, again, the, re, the, the assess, reassess aspect is the key part there, right? If you're, your intervention that you're applying is seeing a change and they're having less discomfort or you're seeing more mobility, then what are you going to do to then engage that tissue to make sure you maintain that? Because like we know, the hands-on stuff that we do or maybe some of the formal that people do, it's, it's temporary. It's not, it's not a long-lasting change, right? So if we can get people to increase their range or increase their mobility even a little bit, then it gives us an opportunity to work on then working on range of motion, strengthening stability tasks to help engage that so you can maintain that and incrementally improve that each and every time you work on it. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it comes back to assessing. You yeah. have to constantly assess to know yeah. whether, I mean, I've, I've done things before where, you know, like actually just the other day, we're working on a kid with a hip internal rotation, actually it has an issue with hip internal rotation. And I did the, the release, the mobilization, the stretch, got his hip internal rotation completely back to normal. Okay, we're going to activate the glutes. Activated the glutes, and immediately his hip internal rotation was reduced again because he didn't have the coordination around his hip. Even though he's extending his hip, yep, yep. he was stiffening up all the muscles around his hip. And so then it comes down to coaching and being able yes. to teach him properly how to just engage certain muscles and not just stiffen up. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 uh, it sounds simple but it's it is complicated at the same time and i think too you know just throwing exercises together without really any real intent behind them you know that can be more harmful than good right you see you know absolutely you see a lot of athletes they, they look for these things on youtube or instagram and they want to implement it into their program because it looks cool or maybe helps them but if you're not truly aware of maybe some of the limitations that you have or maybe the reasoning why you have some of those limitations, then that could be a disservice to your performance, but also to your health too. Absolutely. You have to, the purpose of anything that you do has to be for the purpose of getting rid of your dysfunction, right? Everybody has some sort of dysfunction and again, you can't build performance on top of dysfunction. You have to correct your movement prior to being able to build performance. Now the movement can actually improve really quickly. It doesn't mean your pain is going to go away, sure. but you can actually improve your movement pretty quickly with, with the right stretching, with the right release and mobilization, you can do these self mobilizations technique. You can do this all yourself as well. Right, right. Um, but you have to improve your movement before you can improve your performance. Absolutely. And I think, you know, when we measure success, right. And success can be a number of different things to people, but you know, whether it's improved mobility, whether it's reduction in discomfort, whether that's improved, you know, squat mechanics, whatever it may be, you know, you have to look at, is this you know, small win, going to apply to the bigger picture and if, yeah absolutely if, if you know if you're trying to improve one thing but it's not translating to what they want what their end goal to be then we meet we might need to figure out a different way to kind of approach it yeah and 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 this is such an interesting conversation i'm glad i'm having this with you because <laughs> you don't get to often have these types of conversations but <laughs> even just what exercise and and i've gotten into this myself with my own training but also with 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 athletes is yeah Am I, am I pursuing this, say, like, for example, I used to, the NHL players get tested with bench press. Why? I have no idea. Right, right. But I would find myself, like, wasting a bunch of time in the gym pursuing the bench press yeah. for the purpose of them scoring well on the combine, but has no effect on their performance on the ice. Yeah. Right? And so 
is are what you're doing in the gym is what's the reason for it yeah right you have to have a reason for doing this going to help your performance if so then yes if not then find something else yeah exactly right and so we see a lot too with our collegiate athletes that come in where you know when they go back to school some of their testing they have to clean right and if if they don't let's say if they can't even front squat how can you expect them to clean right so you know obviously we try and figure out ways or strategies to still improve their power but then ultimately try and teach them mechanics of the movement itself so that if they have to go back and test for it, we know that we've done our job to be able to at least get them in the position to be able to do it while reducing the risk of them getting hurt. Cause that's the last thing you want. Yeah. Like, man, it's the testing involved in some of these sports. Like, I don't know, like some of the tests are, are, are dangerous, right? Like, I think uh, cleans are, are a lot of fun. I think obviously there's a lot of benefit to them, but for, some athletes, you know, if, you, if that's part of their workout, that can be problematic because you can actually, that's a sport. That's the reason why it's in the <laughs> right. Olympics, right? <laughs> right, right, right. And the, the risk versus reward, is, it's, that's the key co- component there. If, you, if you're doing something and there's obviously risk because of maybe some physical limitations or mobility restrictions or whatever it may be, um, then are we really doing the athlete, uh, you know, a, a disservice at that point? And it sounds like we might be. So, you know, implementing other strategies, that's when having a good coach to understand that and reflect on that can be really, really crucial to not just all of a sudden beat them into a pulp and say, you got to do cleans because you got to test for it. There's other ways to work on power so that you can still enhance that, but then understand like you're, you're keeping them healthy over the long course of, let's say, an off season or in season you know, so that when they go back to test, they understand that they're going to be in the best position to do so. Yeah. It, it, and it's, it's so individualized now. Like I know like myself working with an athlete, some athletes, I mean, there's one athlete I can think of off the top of my head, a young golfer. He's extremely talented. All I do with him, I don't build any strength or anything with him. He's so talented at his sport. All I do is every time I, I just assess him, make sure he's moving well. And then I don't want to interfere with his athleticism at all. Right. Sure. Okay. Your hips are moving well. Your thoracic spine is moving well. Okay, go do your thing. Where right. other athletes are, they require more strength, right? You, you can tell, okay, this guy, he's lacking some stability. Okay, he needs more strength. He doesn't need really much flexibility. He's actually unstable. So yeah. we need to strengthen this guy up. And not just having a cookie-cutter type, you know, procedure for, for everybody is really important. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, not to harp on it too much, but when you look at the, the medical system, I think that cookie cutter approach is so, it's so prevalent, you know, like, Hey, I've got low back pain. Okay. Well do these exercises, right? If I've got shoulder like issues, do these, you now do banded TheraBand and like, well, listen, there's gotta be more to that. And, and I think it comes down to the clinician and it comes down to the person who truly understands what's going on and the goals of the client or the athlete, right? If the goal is to get to this point, then, you need to figure out a training routine to get them there and not a cookie cutter approach is probably not going to do that for them. No, absolutely. You have to know what the requirements of the sport are. Yep. You have to assess what the limitations yep. of the athlete is or are, and then you have to train to make up the difference, yep. right? So that's going to be different for every sport and for every athlete. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about Trainfully, uh, Thomas. You know, I'm interested, you know, I kind of went on the website. It looks really great. Tell the listeners a little bit about Trainfully and kind of the whole idea behind it. Well, Trainfully is really the the idea of it was to share the training secrets of Olympic and professional athletes with the general population. This comes back to like what people are doing in the gym, seeing how, how they're working out and how different that is in most cases than what the actual pros are doing. 
right? And, if, and so the program, it's uh, I have 20 follow along routines, and these are the same routines that I use um, with professional golfers. It takes you through the the release, the mobilization, the stretching and activation that I do, and it uh, it addresses the three main postural dysfunctions in the scientific literature: the upper cross syndrome, the lower cross syndrome, pronation distortion syndrome, and um, yeah, so it, it's really just born out of the idea that, hey, you know what? The general population could really benefit from this. And so we wanted to share it with them. That's really cool. And I think providing a framework uh, can go a long way in helping people get some guidance as to, hey, you know, this person obviously sees a good amount of golfers, has a lot of great experience with their results. So, you know, I think people will gravitate towards that. And if it's in a manner that allows people just to kind of follow along, that's even better. Right. Yeah, and you can do them at home. And again, like, I don't want to do a sales job here for it. But I mean, this is, <laughs> these are all simple techniques, you know, like, these are the things that I learned over my 20 year career, starting out with people who are really badly injured, and you can't yeah. do aggressive things with people who are injured, right. and systematically learning what works best for movement, what works best for pain. And I mean, these are not intense, they're, they're very simple things that anybody can do, really, and you can do them at home, and it takes 20 minutes. That's great. That's really, really yeah. good. So let's, let's do this, Thomas. Let's transition to our what's in the bag segment. So ah, okay. our, our listeners always like to kind of hear what our, our guests are swinging in the bag. So give us an idea as to uh, what you're, what, what's in your bag right now. Well, I have it actually here right beside me. TaylorMade right, cool. yeah, burner. TaylorMade burner. Wow. Yeah. They're, they're a bit old. They're, they're I was going to say, yeah. that's an old <laughs> Yeah. 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 I might need an upgrade. I think it's 2009. That's great. Hey, listen, TaylorMade's solid, solid brand, solid company. The burners, actually, the burner bubble was probably my first driver. That uh, I was just going to say, my driver's actually looking pretty banged up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so maybe an upgrade's in your future there. <laughs> All right, so let's go to our shotgun round. So um, what I'm going to do, Thomas, is I'm going to ask you a bunch of golf-related questions. Uh, you're going to do your best to try to answer them as quickly as you can, okay? Okay. All right, so uh, favorite golfer for you? Tiger Woods. Great answer. I mean, we get a lot of those things. We get a lot of that answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, how about favorite golf brand for you? Probably Callaway. Yeah, Callaway. As, I, as I'm playing with Taylor. <laughs> as you play Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, these ones don't work very well. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Change your leads right away. <laughs> All right, how about uh, preferred tough. drink or snack while playing? Honestly, water. I just like water. Yeah. How about a snack? Anything that you prefer when you're on no. the course? Or? I find that when I eat, if I'm playing what, any sport, but, but golf in particular, my dis I start to become distracted and frustrated easier. I don't know if it's because I'm digesting food or what's going on, but I get, I'm better off being a little bit hungry yeah. and more focused than you know, eating and then becoming satisfied <laughs> and frustrated with my shots. But it could be also because I tend to eat in the later holes. And that's usually when my performance really drops off. So <laughs> I try to stick with just water. There you go. That's, that's a good, good, good place to start there. Uh, what's your preference? Par three or par five? Par three. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't have, I can't crush, I can't launch bombs off the tee that well. So I prefer the par threes. Hey, listen, par threes, they can be challenging just as much as par five. So uh, good for you. Yeah. I, I, for me, I prefer par five, par threes, uh, for whatever reason, they just, they look, they look, they look great. Like it's so inviting. 
And all yeah. of a sudden, when you're not on the green, you're like, okay, well, that, that wasn't fun. Well, so. Yeah, it's, they can be very frustrating, too, especially right. if there's water nearby. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that, that mental aspect definitely plays you there a bit. Yeah. All right, how about uh, what's your preference, cart or walk? Uh, walk, for sure. Yeah. How about uh, Caddyshack or Happy Gilmore? Happy Gilmore. <laughs> Great. Right, how about a favorite golf memory for you, Thomas? Uh, I can't think of like one specific memory, but growing up, I spent a lot of time golfing with my dad and my grandpa. And like, it, it's interesting when, as I was, as you say that I can have flashes of memories on certain holes and, you know, watching my dad hit the ball and watching it sail off, you know, into the sky and like, man, that like just looks so cool. That's, that's what I think of not one yeah. specific memory, but just being out there with my dad and my grandpa. Those are memories that, you know, obviously come back to you pretty quickly, right? So, and yeah. uh, same thing with me. You know, I went growing up playing with my dad and my brother all the time. Those are just things that have a tendency to kind of resonate with you when you think about golf. Yeah. All right. So for, for the listeners, you know, if there was someone you'd recommend we reach out to be on the show, who would it be? Brent Brookbush. He's oh, yeah. a physical therapist actually oh, yeah. from New York. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. He, especially to talk about assessment and you know how yeah. to direct your intervention yeah and the guy's the guy's great very systematic approach and i've oh. actually learned a lot from him that's great yeah we'll have to reach out to brent we've, we've exchanged conversations in the past there and it'll probably be good to kind of get him back on here so um yeah. let's do this let's do this Thomas. Let's maybe kind of let's end with some, maybe with some words of wisdom right so you know with yourself dealing with low back issues and obviously you dealing with, you know, managing low back issues with a lot of people, whether it be golfers or just, you know, recreational people. Um, what is something that maybe you would recommend they either start with or what, what, what's something they would recommend that you would recommend they do? I, I recommend they get a piece of paper and just like we said before, draw a line right down the middle on one side, put things that make my back hurt. And on the other side, things that don't make my back hurt or maybe even make it feel better. Yeah. and start making your list do less of the things on the these things make my back hurt side and do more of the things on the these things don't make my back hurt side yeah and that's a really good start because as we said chronic low back pain and myself included generally is a repeated series of acute injuries meaning that you're doing too many other things that make your back hurt yeah and i think too you know when we have conversations with athletes or clients that come in or are dealing with low back issues or or mainly whatever discomfort you're dealing with, if there is a trigger, right, or if there is something yeah. that makes that area more sensitive, then we need to be aware of that. And we need to maybe modify our, our, our movement or modify our daily activity to be mindful of that, right? Understand that, hey, listen, this is something I'm maybe going to kind of try and avoid a little bit if I can, so that we can get things back down and calm it down a little bit. And then once things start to calm down, then we try and gradually start to build it back up. And, you know, it sounds like a simple concept, but, you know, when you look at the grand scheme of things, a lot of people have a tendency to do things that just trigger it and just kind of like, so we, so we equate to like just picking out a scab, right? When you're, Absolutely. When you're constantly yeah. doing that over and over again, and you're wondering why you're not getting better, you should start there. Like you said, yeah. make a list, see what things make you feel good, maybe gravitate towards those. And the ones that are giving you some trouble, maybe, you know, don't fully get rid of them, but just try and minimize them as much as you can to allow the back to start to kind of feel better. Yeah. It's all about uh, allowing it to desensitize. You got it. Yep. Yeah. It's a great word because you're right. The, the body, the nervous system is super sensitive to that stress and to that trigger. So if you can do something to get it to calm down, then the body says, Hey, this isn't as bad. What can we do to now build that back up? Absolutely. That's great. 
So exactly. Thomas, I really appreciate your time. For those who maybe want to learn more about what you're doing and want to reach out, uh, what's, the, what, what's the best way for them to do that? Probably from my, either one of my websites, uh, trainfully.com or lowbackpaincenter.com. There's a contact uh, form on both websites. And okay. I'm always interested. Anybody want to have a conversation? I'm always on the phone, by email, whatever. You know, yeah. I, I'm a total human movement geek and anybody else who wants to talk about this stuff, whether it's golf or whether they're in pain, I'm always here. And uh, for the listeners, train fully is spelled with one L, correct, Thomas? One L. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. Got it. So we want to make sure you're going to the right site yeah. before, before you give you the wrong yeah. information. Yeah, you end up with uh, some sort of train site with the locomotive. Right. right. So what we'll do for the listeners, we'll put uh, Thomas's uh, contact information in the show notes so that you can reach out to him if you'd like to. Uh, Thomas, thanks so much for, for joining us on the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast. And uh, let's maybe have a conversation uh, later down the road. Absolutely, Russell. Thanks for having me on. All right, guys, we'll we'll talk to you next episode. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much again for listening to this week's episode of the Pain-Free Golf Performance Podcast. If you enjoy the content of this show, we would love it if you would leave an iTunes review to help us grow and expand our ability to provide you with the golf information you are seeking. If you're listening to this show and are dealing with aches, pains, or issues from golf that haven't been resolved, or you're not exactly sure where to turn, then let us know how we can help. Whether you are local or not, you can work directly with us through our pain-free golf performance program, which is completely virtual and online. This program is customized to you and your goals of playing your best golf yet. We would assess how well you move to give us a baseline of what you can do, and then based on that assessment, come up with a training program best suited for you. We are offering a special podcast promotion, which gives you access to our program at a reduced rate. You can inquire by going to manaperformancetherapy.com forward slash pain-free golf. Again, MANA is spelled M-A-N-A. So it's manaperformancetherapy.com forward slash painfreegolf and use the promo code podcast when inquiring so we can help you feel better and play better golf. Be sure to tune into next week's episode and we'll catch you then.